Every jockey has some kind of comeback story. For David Cohen, the setbacks were as much mental as physical. Now he gets a chance to ride in the Breeders' Cup. Plus, a once anonymous claimer will take on the English 2000 Guineas winner in the Breeders' Cup Mile. We'll have all that and more on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll sack. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hip-hopping finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And we would just love it if you would contact the astrophysicists at America's Best Racing to let them know that In The Gate belongs in their nominees for Best Podcast in this year's Fan Choice Awards. Try the Twitter handle at ABRLive or the America's Best Racing Facebook page. Let them know that In The Gate belongs. The date was August 25th, 2012. The Traverse Stakes at Saratoga, the Midsummer Derby. The favorite that day was the Godolphin-owned Alpha, who had won the track's local prep, the Jim Dandy, a month earlier and had Hall of Fame rider John Velasquez aboard. Very few counted on 33-to-1 longshot golden ticket, ridden by the successful but low-profile David Cohen. And Alpha comes up on the far outside, charging after that lead. And down on the inside, it's Golden Ticket. Golden Ticket in with a huge upset chance here with one for one to go. Alpha is a full-out second. Can Alpha catch Golden Ticket? Golden Ticket, Alpha. And here's the wire. It is. Oh, it's too close to call. Did Alpha get that nose on the wire? Just ahead of Golden Ticket. Oh, it was desperately close. It's a dead heat in the Travers! A dead heat! That remains the only dead heat in the 151 runnings of the Travers, and it cemented David Cohen as a rider worthy of the big moment. He'd finished sixth in the country in wins in 2009, and consistently finished second in wins at New York racing tracks to eventual Hall of Famer Ramon Dominguez. Cohen won riding titles in the Mid-Atlantic at Parks and Delaware Park. But in February of 2014, David Cohen fractured both bones in his lower right leg when a horse named Recoup reared up and kicked Cohen as he was about to mount the horse in the paddock at Aqueduct. A steel plate, five screws, and nine months later, Cohen came back for two weeks. The next time he'd be seen at a racetrack would be three years later, in 2017. Cohen's been hoping to recapture the success he enjoyed a decade or so ago, and nothing breeds hope quite like a promising two-year-old. In the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, he'll ride Keep Me in Mind. We have David Cohen in our minds as well as on the show, as we welcome him for the first time here to win the gate. Let's start with Keep Me in Mind. He's run twice, September at Churchill and then the Claiborne Breeders' Futurity. He finished second in each of them, so he's still technically a maiden, how do you think he handled the jump up to grade one company? Yeah, keep me in mind that uh, he was showing a lot of promise before he ever ran his first time out. And we were a couple of works away. I wish we had a couple more works into him. So I was happy with him being able to 
show that he can get the distance first time out pretty tough on a on a young horse and obviously we thought enough of him to run him in a in a grade one as a maiden um i still think there's some improving needed and he hasn't reached his full potential yet so i definitely think if he can move forward which uh, he showed that he moved forward off of his first start so if he can continue to to progress like he did uh, between those two, I think he'll definitely put himself very capable of getting the job done. How about your personal jump up to grade one company, so to speak? I mean, you've ridden in several stakes this year, winning the grade three Lake George at Saratoga aboard selflessly. But after all that you've been through, which we'll get to in a minute, how did it feel to have a real chance in the stretch to win a grade one race? Yeah, it's hard to to really explain every race is pretty much the same whether it's a uh, a low level claimer or grade one uh, you really just focus on your mount and the way the race sets up for a high-end race is the same thing as a low lower level claimer but nothing to take away from obviously winning a grade one at keeneland and uh breeders cup winning your in type of race obviously is uh, this time of year what every jockey wants to do so for me i was just very proud of my horse that he did show up and did do what I initially thought of him very early on before him ever starting. So it's nice when the horses don't make a liar out of you, so to speak. (laughs) When you returned to racing in 2017, even after the success you had in New York in the early part of the decade, how long did it take before trainers started calling on you again regularly? You know, I was really blessed, truly. I was out for three plus years due to injury and some personal things that happened in my family. I lost my father and my sister. And so that kind of prolonged my return, but I was blessed. I constantly had trainers and owners check in with me. And uh, as soon as I was ready mentally to get back in the game and start to ride again, the people that were there to support me prior and even other people that I never ridden for were very willing to give me their support and their opportunity with the owners and trainers. We touched in our open about the physical problems you faced, the broken leg from the aqueduct paddock accident, and then you just touched on the emotional issues that developed. Just take us through that a little bit. Yeah, you know, the it's one thing to overcome a physical injury. That that time heals, and, and that's it. But when it comes to, you know, my father and I, we were best friends, and everyone that knew us, you know, we were he was an owner and a breeder for 35, 40 years. So he was the reason why I got into the, and had the opportunity to get into the this business and this game. So it, it was very tough for me to get injured, lose, uh, you know, stop riding, then lose my father. And then about a year later, uh, the closest one in my family, immediate family would be my sister. And for, to lose her, you know, kind of everything, I guess they say things happen in threes and that's about pretty much the exact thing that happened to me. So for me, it wasn't a matter of coming back from a physical accident. I was already healed and mended. I wanted to come back and return strong mentally. I did not want to ask for support where these grooms and hot walkers and exercise riders, assistant trainers, trainer, everybody from the the ground up puts in a lot of hard work day in, day out. And I wasn't going to ask for that opportunity and, you know, put people's 
livelihoods uh, in my hands if I didn't feel that I was not 100% mentally ready. And I wanted to make sure when I did return, I was 1,000% there. What were you doing during that three-year stretch? Well, I was doing a lot of rehab because it did take, after I, I got kicked in the paddock at Aqueduct, I broke my tibia and fibula. And that took about 10 months to return. I, I did ride for about two weeks where within that time of coming back, I ended up tearing my meniscus in that same leg. Did not need surgery. So that took about roughly a year to heal. So we're already halfway, maybe through just with the rehab and everything like that. I spent a lot of time, took advantage of going back to my hometown and seeing some family and friends that, as many people know, uh, life on the racetrack, especially as a jockey, everything people do, weddings, funerals, parties, birthday parties, that all happens on the weekends. And for me, that's my biggest uh, time of the week. So I missed a lot. So it was nice to catch up and uh, go back home and, and spend time with family. What was it like, though, trying to make peace with those two losses in your family? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if words can put it into play. I mean, for me, I, I just try to celebrate their lives in any way I can. You know, anytime their memory comes up, I, like I said, just try to celebrate their lives and, and embrace it. Jockey David Cohn joining us here on In the Gate. He'll pilot Keep Me in Mind in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Before we get to your comeback to racing and the Breeders' Cup, I want to take a moment to remember the owner-trainer, Barry Abrams, not to be confused with yours truly, though it will be on my headstone when I die that I am not the owner-trainer. Now, you, having grown up with your father around California racing, knew Barry Abrams pretty well. What did he mean to you? Yeah, Barry, you know, it's so sad to to hear about it. You know, he lost a a pretty long battle with, I think it was throat cancer. And just growing up from the time I can remember uh, Barry, and he, he was actually one of my early supporters as an apprentice and really stuck with me after losing my apprenticeship. And, you know, he's just a solid guy and, you know, one of the good guys. And, you know, unfortunately, they don't make them like that anymore. It was nice to see him be able to bat along and, and show his strength. But it was definitely sad to hear the, the news. So what made you start to think about a comeback to racing in 2017 after the physical and emotional issues that you had undergone? Well, for me, Barry, it was never a matter of if I would return. It was just a matter of when. So I, I wanted to make sure... Not only was I physically, but of course, just mentally in, in the right state of mind to ride at a, a high level. One thing I did do is before my return, since I was taking my time on, on coming back, is that I, I ended up having, from when I broke my tibia, I had a plate and five screws in my tibia. The removal that the prognosis was it was going to take about three months. So I went ahead and had that removed prior to returning. It wasn't bothering me, but I didn't want to come back to riding, get momentum rolling, and then all of a sudden have it start bugging me and have to have that halt me in any progress I was making on my return. So that was another thing that did prolong it for a few months. But um, for me, it was timing where I was going to return at. I wanted to, obviously, when you come off of any injury especially a lengthy one like mine you have to come back and win right away 
So it was very cherry picked where I would return, where I would make my comeback and was blessed that when I did, I came back to Oakland Park and really got to a winning start right away. One that resulted in your being named Comeback Jockey of the Year by the website Jockey Talk 360. What did it mean to you to win that award in 2018? Oh, yeah, that that's something that I did not expect. It was one of those years that just kind of developed into something that was worthy of, of such an award. It was very humbling knowing that that award comes from your peers and, you know, it's more the the inside industry. and. Again, I was just blessed to be able to come back from such a horrific injury. Many guys didn't have that opportunity or weren't so blessed. So for me to be able to have a terrific year and transfer that into humbly receiving such an award really meant the world to me. It was one, definitely a uh, a trophy that goes on with the rest of them that I'm going to cherish one of the most for sure. This is the time of year when some of us look back on how we've done the past 12 months and set our goals for the coming year. What do you hope to accomplish by this time in 2021? That's a good, you know, I want to stay safe, sound, healthy, you know, family healthy. Obviously, we're in this uh, weird day and age right now, so uh, things are a little more important that are part of your career. Um, but as far as riding goes, a couple more riding titles wouldn't hurt. Some nice two-year-olds turning into some good three-year-olds. Love to have a, a good derby prospect. And I, I really think that this keep me in mind if he progresses the way I feel he will and that he's shown he is, that he could definitely be that potential. Uh, so I would love to have some nice, solid Breeders' Cup horses this time uh, around as well. We have some solid two-year-olds coming in at the end of the year. So I'm definitely excited to see what that crop looks like. Keep me in mind tends to come from off the pace. Now, knowing who the possible contenders are in the juvenile, have you given yourself a chance to get a sense of what kind of pace he'll get there? Well, I definitely feel that he'll get a more solid taste than he did his last two times, especially his last time out. It was more of a mediocre pace. I think they went about 23 and change, 48 and change. I think there's those some two solid speed horses, maybe three. And with those horses, I, I do not think we're going to get more of that slow pace that he's seen. And I also feel that he will show a little more speed and, and he's still figuring it out. We are throwing blinkers on the horse. Naturally, that may sh- have him show some speed. I'm not looking to take him out of his running style. He's a, a very big horse, and, and a lot of times these type of horses, it, it takes them time mentally to catch up with their body. And what he's doing right now is just out of pure ability, and, and the light really hasn't even turned on yet. So it's going to be fun and interesting uh, when that does happen, and I expect it to happen come Breeders' Cup. And we certainly wish you the best of success there and on into the future, David Cohen. Thank you so much for a few minutes. Very good. Thank you for having me, Barry. It's typical for Breeders' Cup winning owners to come from New York, California, Ireland, or Dubai. How about from Minnesota with a horse they claim? We'll chat with the co-owners of Factor This when the In The Gate podcast continues.
Welcome back to In The Gate. The Breeders' Cup Mile could very well be one of the most hotly contested races on Championship Weekend. You could see three mares, and not European mares, American mares, taking on older males. They would be Got Stormy and two former Breeders' Cup winners trained by Chad Brown, newspaper of record, and defending mile winner Uni. There's Mo Forza from California, whom we discussed on last week's show, and it looks like the winner of the opening leg of the British Triple Crown will be here also, 2,000 guineas winner Cameco. And taking all of them on will be a horse claimed two years ago, a horse whose light bulb really turned on in 2020 and is a formidable contender. Factor this, trying to see it out. Here comes Casa Creed outside. Emmaus is bottled up in behind horses. Parlor down the center of the course is coming on. Then it's English B and March to the arch down to the final 16th. Factor this is still in front. Here comes English B bearing down. Parlor's in between, but Factor this is determined. Factor this won it. Factor This made 15 starts for trainer Ed Barker in New York, then was claimed at Saratoga in 2018 and transferred to trainer Brad Cox. Factor This has really blossomed as a five-year-old, though. Five wins, a second and a third in seven starts this year. Three of those wins were in grade two races, and in the race run right before the Kentucky Derby, Factor This finished second behind Digital Age in the grade one Turf Classic. There may be more, but I can think of just two horses who went from being claimed to winning a Breeders' Cup race. Maryfield, who took the 2007 Philly and Mare Sprint, and Furthest Land, claimed by Ken and Sarah Ramsey, who won the 2009 Dirt Mile. Vasilika came really close to pulling off the feed in last year's Philly and Mare Turf, finishing second behind Iridessa. In addition to factor this, Thoroughbred Club of America winner In the Midst of Biz will also have a chance to earn that distinction when she competes in the Philly and Mare Sprint. This rise from claimer to gamer has made for a pretty wild ride for the owners of factor this, Minnesota natives Brian and Tom Cutshaw. They race as gaining ground racing, and they're nice enough to spend a few minutes with us here on In the Gate. Let's start with Factor This. What has Brad Cox told you about why he's really turned it on this year? Let's start with Brian. Well, I'll give you an interesting story. When we first bought him at Saratoga two summers ago, he was a little beat up. We ran him a couple in a couple three-year-old races, and Brad, Brad said he needed a break. So we sent him to a farm in Kentucky for three months, and... When he was finally ready to go back to training, I had I called the lady that ran the farm in Kentucky, told her who I was, and she said, you're not going to recognize your horse. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, it's a completely different horse than when he got here. And then I talked to Brad a couple days later when the horse finally got back to Churchill, and he told me the same thing. He's like, this is a completely different horse. And so... He's just really, since between three and four, just kept on progressing and just keeps keeps getting better and better every race. So I'm not exactly sure where the turning point was. Obviously, at the fairgrounds last winter and spring is where he really started to turn it on. Yeah, you know, I think that's right. I mean, he's got Singspiel on the bottom, and, you know, Singspiel, I think, was the world champ as a five-year-old, so he's kind of naturally a a little bit of a late bloomer, and I think part of it was trying to figure out a little bit how he likes to run, 
you know, I think now they've realized he needs to be at or near the lead. So I think that's had something to do with it. But I just think he's a late bloomer. And, you know, American racing is so concerned about these young horses that I think the late bloomers get a little bit overlooked sometimes. Tom, what's it like to be on this ride with him? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, it's, it's funny. We went down to Churchill uh, to watch him run, and I'd never had this reaction before, but I was so nervous before the race that I was actually not going to watch. <laughs> it reminded me of some parents we used to know that their kids, they couldn't watch them figure skate because they get so nervous. So that was the way I was kind of getting to be. But, but I managed to watch the race, so I, I gutted it out. Well, considering my son got hurt in a hockey game last night, I can certainly understand your sentiment. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. You know hockey, you're from Minnesota. So, Brian, oh, yeah, how Brian's has... A, Brian's a hockey player. So. Yeah, I play. I won a state championship for my high school, and my son won a state championship with the same high school. So we're we're big hockey family. And in Minnesota, that's no small statement. How has the pandemic, Brian, affected your experience with Factor This? You said you saw him run at Churchill. Yeah, we were really disappointed. We uh, couldn't go down to New Orleans when he won the Munias. I've got a good friend down there that wanted us to come down, and that was right about the time where they were not allowing any fans. And back then, you know, the pandemic was what I would consider a lot scarier than it is now, but, you know, people really didn't know what was going on, so there was no way we could go see him then. And then we were just fortunate that they let the owners in for the the big race, Kentucky Derby Day. I think that was Tom's first time he'd ever seen Factor This in person. I got to see him run one time at Kentucky Downs last year, but that was only my second time seeing him in person. So that was exciting for both of us to be able to do that together finally. Tom, do you consider that to be like watching your assets or your children? Oh, it's more like children. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. If it was an asset, I could watch it. But, oh, yeah, the money's nice and whatnot. But, you know, you certainly don't think about it that way. Now, you guys refer to yourselves as gamblers, that being said. But, Tom, you've said that the horse you want to bet on in a race may not be the best horse to claim. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, when we're looking to claim a horse, we're kind of projecting out to what we think he or she can be going forward. And, you know, in any particular race you're looking at, there's a a lot of reasons why you would bet on a horse. You know, it could be the pace of the race, the kind of race, the weather. There's a lot of things that affect a particular race, who you think is going to win, but it, it doesn't affect who you think the best horse is going to be in the long run, which is what you're looking at when you're claiming. So to me, that's the basic distinction. Brian and Tom Cutshaw, owners of Breeders' Cup Mile Contender, factor this, join us here on In the Gate. So Brian, why do you go the claiming route as opposed to going to the horse sales? Yeah, um, we've been asked that question several times. Part of it is financial you know, when you go to the sales, you ha- there's such a long waiting period before you even get to see the horse run once, and that can get very, very expensive. 
So we've all, up until now, we've been pretty limited on the amount of funds we've had available. So it just really made no sense to try something like that at all. And obviously with the claiming game, you've got history on the horse. Most likely he's going to run back in 30 to 45 days after the claim. And so it's nice to not have to have that long waiting period to, you know, get some action and, and have the horse running. And we've just felt we've seen like Mike Maker has hit some home runs with some higher level claiming horses. And we just kind of feel like that's kind of what we'd like to try to do. Um, we had claimed a horse, Dowses Beach, for 62.5, I think it was two years ago, out in New York, and he ended up running second in a grade two at Woodbine for us. So we've just felt like we're better at the claiming game than we would be at going to the sales, and so that's why we've chosen to go this route so far. So, Tom, take us through the process you use when assessing and claiming your horses. Uh, yeah, and it's funny, we're looking at a couple even today, but what Brian and I do is we look at the racing form and just kind of go over what the horse has done and think about who, who has the horse and the pedigree a little bit. And then we talk it over. And then once we decide on somebody that we both like, then we forward that to Brad and Dustin, who's his assistant, and ask him for their opinion. And then it becomes kind of a yes or no. If they say yes, then we drop, uh, put a claim in. If they say no, we move on. And But we always want their honest opinion. We don't want them to, I mean, if they don't like a horse, we want them to tell us that. We're not going to be offended by it. So that's basically how we do it. In fact, we're just, we're doing that today. <laughs> Breaking news. Now, you also yeah. use Ray Handel in New York. Is he a part of that process? Yeah, when we use Ray, yeah, we do it the same way. We've basically started using Ray a little bit because Brad has a lot of conflicts where there may be a horse that we're interested in that's one of his owners. So it's nice to have two trainers that you can work with because you do run into some conflicts. So, Brian, how big is the stable, either by number of horses or by budget? Currently, right now, we just have two horses. Like Tom said, we're actively looking right now. I think ideally we'd we'd like to probably get up to four is what we feel like we can afford. And it's nice when you, you have a horse running every week or every other week. So I think we're at two right now. We'd like to get up to four. And... You know, if I think if factor this, if he were to win one of these big races where there was some significant money, we we may take a look at going to the sales. But for now, we're going to stick with the claiming race. And I think four is probably our maximum that we would go for right now. I thought you were going to say if he hits in a big race, you can get rid of your day jobs. Do you have day jobs? <laughs> I just retired. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I retired about six months ago, so no, I don't have a day job. I sort of do. It depends on who you ask. Uh, my wife and I are involved in a franchise, and I do the marketing and the uh, financial part of it, but she really is doing the, the day-to-day work. So I, I would say I have a part-time day job. Are your families supportive, or do they think you're crazy, or both? My family, I think, thought I was crazy until 
we got factor this rolling this year, and now they're reconsidering how crazy I am. <laughs> the end <laughs> justifies the means. Yes, exactly. Tom, what do you what do you think on that? Yeah, I think they're supportive. Although they've always bugged us about racing at Canterbury. That's their big thing because uh, they want to go out and see the horse run. So <laughs> it's a little bit different point of view than we have. Tom and I prefer running at the bigger tracks just because the money's so much better. And I keep telling Tom to tell his kids that if they want to run a Canterbury, they can go buy their own horse. So <laughs> that's, that's how we feel about it. <laughs> well, when you get to Keeneland, you'll be taking on some of the sport's biggest blue bloods like Got Stormy and the winner of the English 2000 Guineas, Cameco. How do you feel about this ex-claimer taking on some of the sport's biggest blue bloods? Oh, yeah, well, it's a little, a little intimidating, but, you know, there's a lot of imperfections in the thoroughbred market, so there's no question that he was a claimer at one time, but, yeah, I don't think we feel intimidated, but we realize it's a, it's a super hard race, and, you know, with a, with a shorter race like this, there's a fair amount of luck that comes into it, too, so... You need to get a good trip and whatnot. So, but I, I wouldn't say we're intimidated. We're excited. And it is factor this the one to catch some like up brown. Now tips too wide, and it is Irish straight under pressure in third position. The others have some running to do now. Factor this made all the running up front. Florent Giroux got three sixteenths of a mile left to go in the dinner party stakes in front of length and a half from some like it hot brown, who's game and chasing, but second to factor this, factor this in front and pulling away in that last sixteenth of a mile. What would it mean to you to win the Breeders' Cup mile? Oh my gosh. I was talking to Tom the other day and I just looked at him. I go, can you believe that we're running in the Breeders' Cup after, I mean, we started this thing five years ago and we were claiming horses with Brad down at the fairgrounds for $7,500. And now we have a horse in the Breeders' Cup that I think is eight to one in the morning line I just saw. So it's, it's, I guess you have to ask me that question after the race, but right now I'm kind of numb. Tom, how do you feel? Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I mean, it's kind of, it, you don't want to think about extrapolate out too far because the kind of year he's had already, I mean, it, if we could somehow manage to win this race, I think we'd be in line for the Eclipse Award too. So uh, you don't want to think about that too much. And yet you are. <laughs> well, that's because you're bringing it up. <laughs> well, we certainly wish you the best of luck on November the 7th. Brian and Tom Cutshall of Gaining Ground Racing, thank you so much for a few minutes, gentlemen. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate yeah, it. we appreciate it. Our thanks once again to Brian and Tom Cutshall and David Cohen. There's one patient the COVID-19 virus did not claim, although it looked to be on life support. That would be live racing at Turf Paradise Racetrack, where it seemed horsemen had used their last resort. When the shutdown struck in March, horsemen were told to take their gear, an ominous sign the gates would forever close. In August, it was reported there would be no meet next year, and it looked like Turf Paradise would be one of those whose doors would close forever, joining other recent tracks like Hazel, Rockingham, and Hollywood but reportedly the director of Arizona's Division of Racing was able to unite for their collective good 
the owner of Turf Paradise, Jerry Sims, and the horsemen for a meet that will take place after New Year's. No spectators for now, but horsemen will be able to make a living, and for that, all parties deserve to hear some cheers. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course, in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us, maybe even the Mensa members at America's Best Racing. Go to ABR Live at their Twitter handle or the America's Best Racing Facebook page and tell them that In The Gate belongs in the finalists for Best Podcast in the Fan Choice Awards. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's in the gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope you're safe and healthy as you listen to this, and we'll see you next time.